Welcome to Dating Log, the podcast that records the ups and downs of dating in your 30s and beyond. We've decided it's time to get some advice from the experts, someone who knows the dating world inside out and whose job it is to help others navigate it too. This is episode 14, Dario, the Dating Coach. Dario van der Kraken is a dating coach based in London and works mostly online with clients from all over the world. This conversation is jam-packed with professional advice. For Dario, the journey of coaching starts from within. He covers the theme of love addiction. Yeah, that's a thing. And he shares his perspectives on finding, quote, the true love that everybody is searching for. Handing over to our regular host, Wyndham, for this insightful conversation. And a quick reminder, stay tuned for Dating Log's second season coming soon. So my name is Dario. And I'm a dating and relationship coach, and I specifically work with gay guys that are having trouble finding, you know, their footing in dating, finding, you know, their good, balanced, healthy love life, which is so common these days, I find. And I started actually, you know, as a coach because I had the world of troubles in my 20s, um, in my dating life. Uh, it was just horrible. I had like the worst time ever and uh, it wasn't actually until I was I think it was I was in my 30s when I started to finally feel like I knew who I was I knew what I wanted and my life really changed and most of the change actually is down to years and years of therapy I went into therapy when I was in my 20s because at some point after like the yet another rejection I felt okay this is this is not normal. If something is happening, I'm not approaching things in the right way. So I need some help. And I, I'm really proud of my 20 something year old self for, for doing that, for asking for help, because going to therapy was the best investment that I've ever done in my life. And I'm reaping the benefits now, like even like 10 years later, because, because I feel happy every day. I'm not saying like, you know, all day, every day, but I do am happy most of the days. So if people want to take something from today's episode, just ask for help. If you feel like you can't do it, if you try to do things on your own and you can't just ask for help because there are people out there that can help you, people that have gone through the same things that you are going through. So at least it doesn't make you feel alone and your life can really change. Can you let our listeners know which market are you operating in? Where are your clients based? So my clients are based all over the world because I only work online. And uh, yeah, so right now I'm working with a client in uh, in Indonesia, for example. I work with clients in, well, all over Europe, in the States, in New Zealand. The only limit is the time zone difference, really. And so dating coach in and of itself is a pretty niche job. So what made you want to become a dating coach? I mean, you did your own therapy and I'm... I can maybe assume you were doing something else with your life. So coaching is because, as I said, I'm, I went to therapy and my life changed. So I've always had it in me. I've always thought that I wanted to help other people um, the same way that I was helped. But I was never going to go you know, back to university and do you know, the specialization schools and study for another 10 years to, to become a counselor or a psychologist or a therapist. Um, and then it was actually during the beginning of the pandemic that I don't know how. I just got like this light bulb moment and I said, well, okay, uh, 
might never be, you know, a therapist or a psychologist, but I can become a coach and I can help people in uh, in this way. Might not be, you know, as full fledged as a psychology services, but I can still do my part and I can draw my experiences. And um, so that's what I did. I did uh, a course in uh, transformational coaching. I passed my course, I qualified. I did a lot of hours of, of practice and then I started out. Yeah, so it's been, it's been a few years now. Cool. When you're working with someone, someone, let's say they reach out to you on the form via your website, what does the process kind of look like? So you can either book a session right away with me or you can get in touch and we can have an exploratory call. So some people really need the help right away. So I find that letting them book a session right away is probably is 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 the first thing is is the thing that probably they need the most. But if you are thinking about if you're not sure that you want to start a coaching journey, then you're very welcome to just get in touch with me. We'll have an exploratory call and we basically talk about why you are thinking about getting into coaching and I tell you, you know, if we are, if I can help you, if there are things that, you know, as a coach and not as a counselor, I'm not qualified to to help with, like traumatic events. This is something that coaches cannot really deal with. So I might refer you to some psychologist friends. Um, but mostly, I think the exploratory calls, and I speak from experience as well, are to find out whether we are a good fit. So maybe you don't like me, maybe you don't like the way I am, maybe you don't understand my access, maybe I don't understand yours, maybe there is no, you know, chemistry there, and, and that is absolutely fine. So that's what um, these introductory calls are for. And then if we decide to move ahead, then we normally set a number of sessions, a number of weeks that we work together. And in our first session, we start, we establish what the goal, or uh, the main goal for us is, well, for the client mostly. So that we always have that as like the Northern star and we don't, you know, go off tangents if it's not useful to reaching that goal. And then we start. What kind of people are coming to you? What state are they in when they arrive in your inbox? Most of the times I find they are in a very hectic times in their lives, in a very chaotic times and uh, if there is an adjective that describes most of the people that come to into my inbox is I would say lost they feel a little lost they've tried different ways they have different challenges they have not been able to overcome and uh, so they are borderline on on hopeless lost borderline on hopeless and uh, so what they need for me is kind of like a plan so bringing some structure into into what they are dealing with and how they can overcome it and and clarity as well one thing that i i really benefited from my years in in therapy and coaching now as well because i still have a coach and i do coaching and i think everybody should do uh, but i'm biased is like clarity when you know, my my coach, my mentor, my therapist was able to actually say, okay, so you're experiencing A, B, C, D, and this is because of X. So even just give it a name, a label is something that helps so much. You said like the word chaos, people are coming in this kind of, ah, feeling a bit lost, like dating clearly hasn't worked for them. So they've reached out to find a dating coach. Do you notice 
common themes or mistakes, let's say, in your eyes that people tend to struggle the most with? Um, yes. How much time do we have? <laughs> okay, so the first one, and it's something that is by no means just specific to 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 gay guys, but it's probably it's like such a common theme that I find in with it, like talking to friends or talking to acquaintances, is that we want to find love so badly that we are willing to compromise on on who we are and even like the core of our own selves. And that never works. That will never work because then what, what kind of love are we like we, we can't really find love if we if we don't love ourselves. I mean RuPaul is right. If you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? That's that's actually correct. So if you are prepared to chase after people that they don't really give a crap about you or they're asking you to change or that you have to change in order to please, that will never be a healthy, happy form of love. Yes, you might be able to establish a relationship with someone and that maybe will be helpful for a while in order for you not to feel lonely but then this is never going to last and even if it lasts it's not going to be a happy one so there's something inherently wrong with the way that it was formed so i would say this compromising on on who they are on their values in order to find love because they believe that and that is like the second most common thing this this love that will magically change their lives in one second and everything will then turn into, you know, uh, flowers and rainbows and stars and sprinkles. That is not what love is. This is like such a common misconception that is fostered by, you know, the society and the culture as a whole. Love is actually something that is so ordinary. And I say that because love, the real love, the happy one, the healthy one, doesn't really change who you are. It doesn't really change your life. Just complements it in a wonderful, extraordinary way. But it's nothing out of the ordinary. So when I was able to find love, it was such like an, an effortless, natural experience. It was an extension of my life and, and, and myself that, you know, sometimes I, you know, when I took a step back and just analyzed the whole thing, I remember like thinking, this is so normal. This feels so normal to me. And that was something that I, I, I never expected because I was just like many of us, like one that thought that, you know, once I am able to find love, then my life is going to change and everything will just, you know, feel better and taste better. And, uh, and it would be like a completely different world just because I had this love. But actually, no, it felt the opposite. It felt like normal. It felt like like meant to be. It felt like a part of myself. But because I was able to do a shitload of work on myself and and be able to approach dating and love life in a way that was that was, that was really in line with my values and, and, and my core beliefs and, and basically being 100% myself. This is something that has also come up uh, in the podcast with different guests, this idea of finding love and finding a relationship. They're not always synonymous with each other, the way people talk about them. Sometimes people say, I'm looking for a relationship. Sometimes people say, I'm looking for a life partner. Sometimes people say, I'm looking for love. Are these things mutually exclusive? Do they go together? How does it work with you and your coaching? What do you say to people? Normally, what I say to people is asking, I ask a lot of questions. So this is another misconception about 
the role of the coach. People think that a dating coach is like a sports coach. So I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to tell you where to go and I'm going to tell you what to say. But actually, no, like coaching, especially transformational coaching is much more about asking the right questions so that my clients will find the answers because I might have my own answers, but they are my own. They work for me. They might not necessarily work for you, especially when it comes to the realm of, of emotions and feelings. It's all, it's all very individual. It's all down to who we are as, as a person. So I, I wouldn't say that finding a relationship, finding love are mutually exclusive. Not at all. I would hope not. But I would definitely ask, okay, so what is the difference? What do you think is the difference between finding a relationship and finding love? And then see what they say and go from there. And what's important to them as well. Like you mentioned values. Yeah, values are so important. So... I think over my years of dating and then coaching, but always kind of dating because I've been in a relationship for five years now, but before I was basically single for most of my life. But I was able to come up with a few, I'll say like guidelines for, uh, for dating. And those are guidelines that I use with my clients as well. And the first one is always know who you are. If you know who you are, you are in a much better position to understand to 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 approach dating and approach other people from from a very centered a very grounded position if you don't know who you are it's like being a ship in a storm so you get taken here and there by you know whatever winds or whatever storms blows and but when you know who you are then you are an island in the middle of this storm so even if you there is like storm all around you then at least you know who you are and you can better navigate that is everyone coachable in your opinion you know the beautiful thing about coaching or therapy is that it's not mandatory so you have to want to be there in order to to do it and uh you know for most of my life with like friends that have gone into therapy or head coaching, we've always said, oh, you know, therapy should be should be made mandatory for everyone because it's such a good investment. And uh, and once you you know you have the tools to to analyze what is happening to you, you're actually able to see what is happening for other people, but they are unaware of what is happening because they they haven't been through the process. They don't have the tools to to manage what is happening to them. And uh, and it's just it's just a pity. So one thing I remember um, of my first years in therapy is that you kind of want to basically do therapy to to everyone because they you know that they don't know better and you just want to help them because on the other side is 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 much better and it's 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 just like an, another world um so we always said oh you know therapy should be made mandatory but to be honest with you it shouldn't because if it is something that is forced on you then it doesn't really work you know what works and this is something i find very very liberating is that the i read studies that says that, that they say that the best clients the clients that get the most out of coaching or therapy are not the ones that are burning to with the desire to fix themselves but with the desire to learn about themselves and about how their, their brain works and their mind works. And I find that to be so true because once you know, you know, what triggers you and why, then you don't need to, to, to want to fix yourself. It's something that automatically happens. So if you approach therapy or coaching with curiosity, like, why am I reacting this way? 
why you know xyz saying you know these things is making me feel like so on edge and once you know the reason why it's not like you actually fix yourself or you know that trigger doesn't work for you anymore but you put a frame you put some context around it that is what what basically frees you what what liberates you because the next time that the trigger is happening you'll be able to recognize and say, oh, okay, so this is happening because of that. And then, you know, a couple of times after the triggers happen again, you'll be able to say, okay, well, yeah, I can feel it like happening. I can feel that I'm being triggered, but no, actually I'm not interested in, in reacting to it anymore. And that's how you change, but without really wanting to fix yourself, because I don't believe we need to be fixed. We just need to understand who we are, what we want, and our past history and how it still affects us in ways that we're not aware of. When I go to your website and I look at it, there is a pop-up that comes up and also towards the bottom, I see a big break the cycle of toxic relationships. Is this a theme in dating? And can you tell me more about, yeah, how are you encouraging or helping people to yeah, stop these cycles to recognize these triggers. How does that work? Not gonna lie, it's not something that it's it's gonna be solved in like a nanosecond, like most marketers and more most you know people out there actually say, oh, you know, fix this in uh, in one second and then you'll be free. It's a long process, but it starts with being aware that first of all, being aware that something is not working, something is not is not making you happy in your life at the moment. And uh, and I think it's it's very important to admit that that is a massive first step when you admit that something is not working uh, and that you might need to do something about it, whether it is to you know research some more, ask for help, but admitting that something is not working is the first step. And then what follows is kind of a long process, but I believe that is it's a beautiful journey when you decide you know that even when you admit that something is not working and that might make you feel like know a failure or like you've done something wrong or that your life is absolutely a disaster it's actually not that it's it's a sign of absolute strength and once you start thinking about your life and taking care of or what it is that is not working i think it's such a beautiful loving gesture that you can make to to yourself so just because there is something that is not working just because you're not happy doesn't mean that your life is a failure it just means that you need to pay more attention to it. My field of, my niche of expertise is actually love addiction because I suffered from it for, uh, well, for as long as I can remember. And uh, and I still suffer from it, despite, you know, having having been kind of diagnosed and, uh, and knowing, you know, the ways that it works. I still feel every now and then in my relationship that there are those, those dynamics that still come into play. But I'm able to recognize them and I'm able to manage them and do something about them so that they don't take over my life. What is love addiction? Basically, love addiction is when is when you are paying so much attention to your partners or your dates, you know, thoughts, feeling and everything. And to the point that you are basically erasing yourself. I can tell you like more definition like a proper scientific definition of love addiction but i find that if i explain this 
with these words, more people will recognize themselves in uh, in it, or at least in parts of it. It's like when you are thinking, instead of thinking, oh, you know, what am I, what do I want to have for dinner? Automatically, your brain goes, what is, you know, my partners want to, will, will want to have for dinner or uh, my date, how can I make my date happy? So instead of thinking about what makes you happy, it will make you, you know, fulfilled, you are always thinking about somebody else's. It can be your partner, it can be, you know, some authority figures in your life, but the core of it is that basically 100% of your mind and brain activity is devoted to the other, and there is 0% devoted to you. One of the things that people can do in order to step out of this, at least for just like a couple of seconds every day, which will still be an achievement, is to start asking themselves, okay, but what do I want? You're not going to have an answer for it right away because you're not used to thinking about yourself. So this is, there is a whole journey of discovery there. But I think is one very teeny tiny action that you can take on a daily basis that, you know, if you, if you do it, you know, every day in, you know, six months, a year is going to have a much bigger effect. And you're going to start to, you know, at least not be fully dependent on the other. But you start, you will start seeing that you are part of the equation too. I'm hearing a lot about like self-work and reflecting on your own patterns and behaviors. And I guess less about more the practicalities of dating. So how do you measure the success of your clients? Is it actually going on dates or getting relationships or is it the growth that's coming from these sessions? What does success look like for you? Well, if for me, it's all of it. So all of the above, everything that you mentioned, I think for me is seeing them approach their daily life with less anxiety and more, uh, more fun, more freedom. So being them more uh, more secure in themselves, so going out on dates, depending on you know how the date goes, it's not something that it's it's in your power, in their power anyway. To you know whether the date is a success or uh, not a success. So I think for me is more like the overall approach. But you know when you start doing coaching, you go on to to coaching for you know one thing, one very. Um, very well-defined goal but to be honest with you then the ripple effects when you start like moving things in your mind um, is not just in dating but it's in, in on your whole life so it can be like a work relationship with colleagues relationship with parents it's of something the shift uh, in family dynamics as well so everything is part of what I consider to be a success but yeah there was like this client of mine for example that had this goal of of actually crying. She wasn't able to cry. She wasn't able to express her emotion through, you know, tears, despite wanting to do so. And so we did like a lot of like a long emotional journey uh, about the reason why she wasn't able to and what was happening in like the moments where she felt like crying, but then she also felt like couldn't. So obviously there was, there was something that was blocking the tears from coming out. And then there was a lot of, of work of, I say, like giving new uh, meaning to what the tears were compared to what she was taught when she was a child and then she was able to on our last session because at some point you know coaching is gonna is gonna end because the clients the people have the instruments to then go on and uh, and then live life and do the work without you know needing to be coached because then it's like you leave a part of yourself but I leave a part of myself with my clients 
and uh, there's something like my therapist they left a part of themselves with me but also goes like for every kind of coach like my tennis coach my first tennis coach is always with me when I play tennis so it's something that just stays and that is the, the, the beautiful part of it but then yeah you know in our last session she ended up um, she ended up actually crying and uh, and that was an amazing moment so it's not just about the dating it's not just about uh, the finding love finding a partner but it's also just this this I think it is milestones within yourself so they are very very yeah private but I think they are the best ones as well I like what you said about the ripple effect I can totally see that happening you know you make one little change and then it radiates into all these other facets and arguably other relationships in your life as well yeah one of my breakthroughs when I was in therapy was that I was I was very successful professionally so I've always been and I was an utter failure when it came to to dating so there was these two these two part of me that I couldn't I couldn't really reconcile because in my mind if you are successful at something then you should be successful at everything else right so one of my big breakthrough was actually that I was applying the rules of, I don't know, like the, the uni university exams to dating. So, so I felt, well, no, I felt like I was absolutely convinced that the success of my dating life was just 100% dependent on me. And like there wasn't anybody else in the picture. It sounds like so simple and so trivial to say now, but I felt that I was responsible for 100% of what happened during you know, my dates, during my relationship. And by doing that, by being convinced of that, it was like I was removing the other. I was removing my partner. I was removing my dates from uh, from having, you know, responsibility for their 50%. So if I was out on a date with someone and it went well, but then I wouldn't I wouldn't really hear from him anymore, then I would I would feel totally responsible because of for, for that. So I would feel that I had done something wrong, that I wasn't, you know, handsome enough, that I wasn't funny enough, that I wasn't, I was never enough or I was too much. So it was all down to me and something that I realized. And again, it might seem very simple. It sounds so simple now that I say that, that's so basic, but you can only do, you know, up to a certain point in, in a relationship because there are other people involved. It's not like when you're trying to study for a university exam that it's kind of all down to you, which is not really true because, you know, there is your professor involved as well. There is, you know, luck. There is like some random factors, but it is much more about yourself than other people. But when it comes to dating, it is about other people. It's not just about you. It's about you and someone else. So there's only so much that you can do. There's only so much that you can be responsible for. And that was one of my, my breakthrough. What are some common, let's say, quote, mistakes that you see people making as far as dating? So as I said before, compromising of their values and their core beliefs is, is one of them. And I can tell you that, you know, if you're feeling that a part of you is being an important part of you is kind of dying when you give an answer to your partner or your date, this is like a massive red flag and you should take notice of that because when I can tell you, for example, when I had my first relationship, I was so in love in kind of like an unhealthy way. Um, and uh, I've always wanted kids, even if I was gay. I, I mean, I, I've known that I was gay since I was eight years old and I've always known that I wanted kids. So I've always thought 
I don't know. In some ways, I'm 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 gonna be able to to have kids. So I never really worried too much. But with this first boyfriend, I remember when we like after a couple of months in the relationship, eh, we talked about you know kids, and he didn't want to have them. And because I was so you know in just like prey of this love addiction dynamics, I've said, oh yes, I don't want kids either. And I remember the moment that I felt like a part of me, a part of my heart, just died then and there because I compromised on something that it was so essential to me. And uh, and that is something that I still is a moment that I still remember because. This is what it feels like to compromise on something that you believe to be to be true and to believe to believe that you believe to be absolutely yourself for in order to please somebody else and thinking that you know if you please your partner or your date, then it means that you're gonna have like a relationship, you're gonna find love, whatever it is that your your goal, whatever your goal is, it's never gonna work for you. It's never gonna work in the long term because you always you will always feel like you're not really you're not really there. You're compromised on on too much or on something that it was just so important for you to be happy. So that is by far the most common mistake. It's hard to find a balance between what you feel you can compromise on, because of course, you know, being in a relationship with someone, regardless of whether it is, you know, a love relationship or a work relationship or a friend relationship, there are going to be some compromises. I think, you know, my first rule of knowing who you are and knowing what your core values are, that's when it comes into play, because then you'll be able to know, you know, what are the deal breakers and what instead is stuff that you might be willing to be to to compromise on. So knowing yourself and knowing who you are and what makes you tick, what makes you happy, uh, what you want out of life is really important. And then the second rule for me would be know what you want. And this is something that most people just don't do, especially people like me that just wanted to find love and were like willing to compromise on on uh, on everything and anything in order to find it. But what is it that you want out of you know, your partner or your relationship, your life with your partner? And something that I always advise my clients to do is every time that you go on dates or you start you know, dating someone or a relationship with someone and then they don't work out. It's really important to understand, you know, what it is about this particular date or this particular relationship that didn't work for you so that you kind of find that you start a list of what you don't want and what you want in a, in a partner or in a relationship. It's something that works quite well because it takes the attention away from the fact that, you know, a date, a date that doesn't go well is a failure, which is not. But many people, you know, feel, especially when they are on a mission to find love, every every time that every date is an opportunity to find their love. And when that opportunity doesn't materialize and something goes 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 wrong, then they feel like a failure. And it's not absolutely what 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 it happens. But you know, if you start saying, Oh, okay, so with this guy it didn't work because actually he was evil, he was cruel. I don't like that. I don't want that in a guy. So Let's make a list of things that you don't want. So that takes you, that they makes, I find that this process makes, um, puts all the dates in uh, in kind of perspective as like a journey that you yourself are on, regardless of who you are on in a relationship with or on a date with. And, uh, and it takes, you know, the sting away from, you know, the perceived failures that you can have when something doesn't work out in your dating life, because I mean, it doesn't work out like most of more, more times that it does work. So 
that's that's normal. What do you notice as far as trends in the dating industry and anything that's relevant for people in their 30s and beyond? So I was actually lucky to spend my early 20s in a world without dating apps. So if I wanted to meet someone, I had to actually go to a club and go talk to someone in person right away. I find that dating apps have changed the landscape completely because now when I go into clubs and I don't actually don't go to clubs that often anymore but when I go I am amazed to see you know people side by side or like one meter apart but they are talking to one another on Grindr or whatever dating app instead of talking to each other it's like we have become so afraid of rejections that we don't even go and talk to one another anymore because we're so afraid of being rejected and I have to say, unfortunately, that is justified because talking to someone, especially when you are living maybe in like a big metropolis, just like London, for example, but I, I probably believe that it's the same in everywhere else in the world. When you go talk to someone, like when you approach them, it's just seen as like an overstep of the boundaries that you always start, I don't know, thinking that the person who approaches you is like crazy or on drugs or, you know, there's something wrong with them. So we haven't really made life easier for each other to just to just talk and get to know one another. I love like dating apps and I don't have anything like because they I think they brought more benefits to us than 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 drawbacks. But I think one negative side to them is that we stopped communicating in real life anymore. And I've always been one to just take everything from offline to online to to sorry, from online to real life as soon as possible. Uh, so even when I was on my own dating apps, I would spend maybe, you know, just a couple of days talking to someone. But my goal was to, if there was, you know, some sort of chemistry there, I just wanted to bring it to real life as soon as possible. Just because sometimes the chemistry that you have online with someone that doesn't really translate into real life. And I didn't want to spend, you know, months talking to someone online and then build all these castles in my mind. Hello, love addiction to then, you know, find that all my hopes were then crushed when we met in real life because the hype just like, because like the real experience didn't match up to what I had in my mind. When I'm interviewed, I'm asked about dating apps and experience on dating apps. And uh, for me, I always try to convey the message that what happens on dating apps, it's not like, it's not real life. So if you know someone on a dating app, it's not like saying someone is your friend in real life. So there are still, you still have to break the ice and kind of bring that online relationship into offline, into a real life territory. It's scary. It can be scary, but we're humans. That's what we are meant to do, not spend our lives online. And like, I'm saying that as you know, an online marketing specialist as well. But the real life, especially from, from the point of view of feelings, happens, you know, in offline. Yeah, app management was a big topic of conversation over season one. You know, people, they don't want to reply too soon. They don't want their profile to be too cheesy. They don't want to attract the wrong type. How do you open a conversation? So fun question for you. What's better than saying, hey, how's it going? Oh, yes. So and again, this is like because we are bombarded with messages from, especially if you if you have like, three or four apps on your phone, then you are probably bombarded with, with messages and you kind of have to stand out from the crowd. Also, 
Hi, how it's going? It works in real life because you take into account, you know, the effort that the person has made in order to muster the courage to come up to you, which is something that I've always admired. Um, but online, hey, how it's going? It's not really making much of an effort, is it? So I would say start well, start experimenting with opening lines, and it could be something funny. Like for for a while, I used something like, "Please don't send me your." Uh, one of the people that claps when a plane when a plane lands, so something like that. You know, like "Hi, I'm Dario. Please tell me that." And it was it was probably a horrible line, but it kind of broke the eyes and uh, it made them laugh. And if it didn't make them laugh, then they would block me, and I knew that they were not my type, so it was alright. Um, but at least it kind of stood out, and it almost always guaranteed a reply, which is something that, you know, it's very hard to come by these days. Our last episode was called The Litmus Test of Dating. And we talked about, in the business terms, let's say KPIs or milestones. In your mind, what are those? Like how, let's say, are your clients measuring, like you talked about their personal goals. That's one thing, you know, their personal growth and how they are approaching situations. But in terms of dating, what are those steps that yeah, get them towards a relationship? Yeah, they vary with from clients to clients because I guess it depends on their cult culture. It depends on their what point in their life they are. Um, but I can tell you that for me, so moving, <laughs> so speaking about conversion rates, moving people from dating app to WhatsApp was was a very important step. So WhatsApp for me was basically the, the step before going out on a real date in real life. So dating app to WhatsApp and then WhatsApp to real date in real life, for me, these two were very big KPIs. So, and you want to have, you know, people, of course, you start talking to, if you're talking about, we're talking about marketing funnel, you start talking with 100 people on a dating app, but then maybe 10 make the cut and get to WhatsApp. And then depending on what your strategy is and what you're comfortable with, then maybe half of them, then you arrange a date with. And then how many of these five dates are going to go well? Potentially two or three. And then you start, you know, interacting with, with them. I've never been a fan of like the rules, like in uh, Sex and the City's Charlotte rules, like you have to wait until the third day to sleep with him. I don't believe in that. I think you need to do whatever feels right for you. Uh, I've had successful relationship that started with a one night stand um, and very bad relationship that ended without, you know, after 10 days without really getting to getting into the bedroom. I don't think that we are at that point in, in evolution where we're getting someone to bed right away or after three days or after two days means or can actually tell how the relationship is going to go. It's a relationship that's so much more than that. But one thing that I've always done is even if I was dating, if I was going out on dates with different guys, if I, as soon as I felt that I really liked someone or that potentially there was something that could develop with someone, that I would devote like 100% of my dating effort to them. So I would actually abandon the other one. I would you know, stop dating, abandon. abandon. Oh my God, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> abandon. No, 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 no. That is never, a strong word. <laughs> never abandon without an explanation. Never. No, I would stop dating the other ones and just fully concentrate on that. And that was something that for me was important because it was it was part of who I was. It was part of my values. And 
something that I was expecting from from the other one. My 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 date was also that if we you know felt that there was something that could potentially develop into something serious, then I would expect them to kind of do the same. So focus just on me without you know because if they if they suffered from FOMO, then I knew that probably they weren't right for me. But if they were you know willing to invest into into whatever that was and see where it would go then for me that was there was a big positive sign yeah yeah definitely um well in the age of abandonment and ghosting a big question that a lot of our guests had was how you've gone on a few dates and you know it's not working how and when do you break it off so sometimes it will be you that will have the clarity to see that things are not working, that, you know, the two of you are not a match. Sometimes it would be the other one, the other, your date would have this clarity and then would tell you that things are not working. What I find that we need to do a lot of education in society uh, about is that just because something doesn't work between two people, it doesn't mean that one one is okay and one is not okay, or one is right and the other is wrong, one is good and the other is bad. No, it just means that it's not a match. But both of you are actually okay. It just wasn't a match, and that's okay. I, I read a lot of you know psychology books, as you can imagine, because I'm so interested about this stuff and also to just keep myself up to date with you know the latest study. In this abandonment crisis that I have experienced when I was when I was dating, they are becoming more and more frequent in people that are in well in people. I was saying I was going to say people that are dating, but actually they are common in people in a relationship as well. This fear of being abandoned, which is something that stemmed from from a very early age when we were like babies and uh, we needed to rely on someone else in order to survive. Um, it's not the case anymore, but it is something to stick with us. So we need to kind of like give a new meaning to this 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 breaking up, this you know stop dating um, when something just doesn't work because it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you're not okay. You're both like equally okay people. You're just not a match, and and that is fine. It's gonna happen. But one thing that I say is I am like a true believer in communication. So if it is an uncomfortable conversation, I know it's hard, but those are the conversations that you need to have in order to, in order to grow as a person. Those are the conversations that you shouldn't really shy away from. Having a hard conversation, first of all, can strengthen someone's bond. Yeah, maybe you're not, the two of you are not a match or like a romantic match. Maybe you're a match as, you know, friends or Essentially, you can still keep in touch and uh, and you never know. And this, conver- this hard conversation, this very uncomfortable conversation that, by the way, are not just uh, about dating. They, you have hard conversations when you are in a relationship, even a happy, healthy relationship. You still have uncomfortable conversations to have. And that is the same in, you know, at work, with your family, with your friends. There will always be some hard conversation. But Hard conversation or an uncomfortable conversation doesn't mean necessarily confrontation. This is something that people are afraid of, afraid of confrontations. I don't like confrontations at all. I tend to be like a people pleaser. It's in my nature. But what I, where I find strength to approach this uncomfortable conversation is that you're both going to get on the other side of it much stronger, even if the bond 
ends, you will be left with the feeling that you've done something that you were afraid of. You, you have been honest with the other person. And most of all, you were brave enough to actually tell them in their face rather than by a text message or, or you know, the worst, ghosting. So ghosting is like the plague of, of contemporary society. It's, it's something that, to be honest, I, I can understand, but it comes from a place of, of cowardice rather than, you know, a place of, you know, whatever it is that people are trying to, to, to justify with. I don't think it's ever okay to ghost anyone in life because, like, at the end of, at the, end of the day, we're all human beings. We're here on this planet. We should feel kind of a bond with one another just because of that. We are on this planet in the middle of the universe together. We should be kind to one another. And being kind sometimes being, means telling some hard truths, but at least telling them with compassion to their face rather than behind their back or even without telling them at all. I'm with you on that. Ugh. We could talk quite a long time about ghosting, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> so much about it. Um, do you have any advice or words of wisdom you would like to leave our listeners with? Yes. Before looking outside of you, look inside you. Most of the things that you're trying to find outside you, they are inside you. And that goes actually before blaming, you know, other people outside of you, just maybe look inside yourself because you will find that there is some responsibility to be taken within you as well. Probably one of the, the most common mistakes that people make in dating is that people come to, especially when they are burned by a relationship, they come to me or they, they go into therapy or to coaching and they blame the other person. There is something, there is a big blame culture going on out there where we don't really take responsibility and we just blame the other people that we were dating or that we were in a relationship with. Now, I'm not talking about those instances where, you know, somebody cheated or uh, there was like where the responsibility was 100% onto one side. But I find that for the vast majority of the relationships or datings or the dates that, that hand not well, the responsibility is kind of shared. So when my clients come into coaching and when I see that they start blaming the other for everything, that for me is something that we really need to work on. Because everybody then, you know, after a therapy or a coaching journey, they find that there is so much responsibility that we need to be able to take for ourselves in our relationship. So, and even just because the other one has done something bad to us, doesn't mean that we are completely innocent. So, but regardless of that, I always like to, to do that myself and to encourage my clients to just look inside themselves to see to see what they have done and how they have handled the situation, whatever situation they are in, in order to get some more learnings for them, for the future. This is not just like something that they do for their partners, it's something that they do for them. So everything that we learn from a relationship, regardless of the outcome, is something that we always bring with ourselves and forever. So, and that's how, you know, we grow as, as human beings as well. Dating Log is recorded and hosted by Wyndham Juno. It's produced by me, Harry Dark, and our artwork is in collaboration with Esme Hemming Studio. 
A big thank you to today's guest, Dario van der Kraken. You can find him on Instagram at dario.lifecoach or check out his website at www.dario.coach. Whilst you're at it, you can follow us on Instagram at datinglogpodcast. Now to be found on YouTube and TikTok, our website is datinglogpodcast.com. Would you like to be a guest on the show or know someone who should? Then send us a message, DMs are open, or email us datinglogpodcast at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, review wherever you listen. We'll be back soon with more episodes. In the meantime, please don't ghost us. <laughs>